Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Snatched. Um, I'm here, Latoya, as per usual, and I'm joined by obviously the co-host of all co-hosts. Yeah. <laughs> hello, uh, everybody. Hello, Wigs and Snatchettes. <laughs> so, welcome to uh, another episode of Noir Black and Back Again, and we're on to part two of our Minds Matter. And we've got a special guest with us today who I've had the privilege of working with before in different contexts, but she's here to give some really excellent advice today uh, and insight into mental health for the black community so i'm joined by priscilla vivian hi hi So, psychological counsellor, mental health educator, mindfulness facilitator, so all three in one. So, Priscilla is a BACP registered psychological counsellor, as I said, mental health educator and mindfulness facilitator, who specialises in working with individuals who struggle with cultural identity, emotional disconnect, and finding life purpose. So, she Mm -hmm. founded Vivify Therapy in 2019 to increase accessibility to culturally informed mental health support. Her approach to mental wellness is a blend of Western psychology mindfulness and ubuntu did i say that right you did okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like good i got to go on youtube like how do you pronounce this word so silly um, priscilla works with clients to co-create a safe space and trusting relationship through which they can freely explore their feelings the stories they carry and deepen their connection to their intuition integrating tools from her personal mindfulness practice of eight years she'll help you build self self-compassion and self-empowerment to create the life that you want so i think i, I did that intro well enough you did such a good <laughs> job that was a mouthful and you did it really I well i did it so um Priscilla, over to you can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your experience and your journey into your career yeah i think i'll kind of take it right back before i go into why i rely so much on mindfulness and why mindfulness is such a big part of my work I kind of go back into what even got me into this work um so I've always like had an interest in psychology and just studying people always been that like observant child in the corner of the room um and I grew up in a part of London called Brixton in South London and um at the time like you know it was very different from how it is now it was very uh, full of challenges, um, a predominantly black area at the time, and particularly the estate I lived on, Mightsfield Estate, um, had, you know, like a lot, a lot of problems. Um, so just growing up, seeing all the challenges there kind of made me feel like, you know, can I do something to change this, you know, mm. and to better people's lives and to better my life and the people close to me. So um, thinking about when I was really, really young, kind of, there was one experience that I think, um prompted me and inspired me to want to make a change. Um, I think I was about eight. Um, this is to kind of illustrate the environment that I was in at the time. And you know, when your mom sends you to the shop, I know now there's like so many rules, you can't send kids to the shop. But back then we did mm. that. So <laughs> my mom sends me to the shop um, with like a 10 pound uh, note. And I'm like skipping along all innocently. I was like very innocent. Um, and then like coming towards this like group of um, teenage boys, like in their late teens, probably early twenties. And my perception of them at the time, like just seeing older black boys is like, um, automatically I was feeling safe because I'm used to seeing black men in my family. So I'm like, oh, they're Mm. safe. Like this is a nice thing to be around. Um, And then they took the money from me. And I remember just being like in shock, like because I was like eight or something and you're being robbed by like older boys. Um, And I was in shock because then it kind of dawned on me, like, this is not a safe space. Um, Mm. But then it's like the kind of confusion of what you look like me. Are you not supposed to keep me safe because you're older black boys and I'm a young black girl? Um, So I'm looking at you as like older brothers kind of thing. Um, And then it was the whole thing of now I have to explain to my mum why I've not come back with the basmati rice or the 10 pound note. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So um, all of that kind of just shocked me into, and I think that was my first real realization of like, it's not a safe space and how dangerous the area is. And like Mm. growing up older, like more and more things happened that were like a lot more serious. And I'd say by the time I was like, 18, 19, most of the friends that I had grown up with were in um, either, you know, drug addicts or in prison. Mm. Um, So fast forwarding a bit, uh, when I went to uni, I studied psychology and criminology, and I decided to base my dissertation on uh, youth delinquency and look at uh, people's sort of childhood upbringings and how it links to them kind of ending up in those spaces. 
Um, so I did some really in-depth interviews um, to people that I knew um, that were close to me and had all been in long-term prison sentences before the age of 21. Um, and there were a couple of key things that I noticed and patterns around like upbringing, um, breakdown in relationships with primary caregivers, um, and also sort of socioeconomic status um, and things that were happening in their home environment, but also at wider society. So taking all of that into account, I just thought like, this is something that I really, really need to be able to contribute because I feel like I have a unique position and understanding having mm. come from that as a lived experience and been surrounded by it for so many years. Um, and that's what basically led me into this work. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. I know Mitesfield, I grew up in Stockwell. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, that resonates with me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um and so um just about your career and stuff because obviously I touched on what you do but can you give mm -hmm. a bit more maybe a bit more insight into like mm -hmm. also more deeply how that affected your career and what you do day to day in terms of like mm. the people you work with yeah sure mm. so um I guess after that moving forward deciding to specifically study so that I could work one-to-one -one with people is that I realized that you know black people do need a safe space um looking at the state of um, the current services that one offer at the time um a lot of the time I was hearing from black people that they didn't feel it was effective that they didn't feel heard um mm. and studies show time and time again that regardless of the type of therapy. So you've got different types of therapy, whether that be like CBT or person-centered mm -hmm. or all the different approaches. The main thing that determines how effective the therapy is gonna be is the relationship and the depth of the connection. So research shows that time and time again. And if you don't have an understanding of that person's lived experience or cultural references, it limits how deep you can be with them. So mm. for me, it was really important to show up as a black face that felt, you know, for people to feel safe and just for someone to be able to understand their cultural references. So my own first personal experience of having therapy was in secondary school. Um, I had a lovely black woman called Ventress, um, never seen her again, disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, but she was amazing. So I had one to one therapy with her and then I had group therapy with her. Um, and I remember just she was like, you know, like the positive black auntie in the school, you know, and was able to get the girls together, went to an all girls school. And anytime there was conflict, she could easily just sit us in a room together and pinpoint what it was, you know, that was kind of like causing any discord between us. And I think a big part of that was because of the cultural understanding that she had. Mm. Um, so again, kind of going back to the cultural piece and the depth of relationship, I feel like it's really important. So I wanted to be that, but to also be able to speak to other people um, in the mental health industry as well, um, my colleagues and stuff in the NHS, and just to be able to say like, we need more black therapists because that's where people feel understood. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Oh, me? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I was just, sorry, I was just so engrossed. No, I was so engrossed. You know I love it. Go ahead. I was going to add to that. Um, so yeah. after, after I had that therapy experience, my next uh, experience of therapy was at uni. Um, mm -hmm. And it was completely different. Um, mm -hmm. with, I had a therapist who was a German white lady. Um, and again, going back to that connection, it wasn't there. It wasn't flowing for me. Mm. Um, and I tried to sort of like rationalize it. Like, you know, is it the approach? But I felt like a large part of that disconnect was the cultural aspect of it. Mm. Um, and it felt very clinical, which translated to me at the time as very cold. Um, mm. and I needed to feel a sense of warmth in order for me to feel safe. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know what, it's, uh, sorry, I'm, now I'm back in the room. <laughs> I'm here now, I'm here, back in the room. Um, no, thank you so much, obviously, for the introduction and such a mm -hmm. powerful, and actually for sharing your experience as mm -hmm. well. I think it's really powerful what you were talking about, actually, you know, you recognise that there is um, the need for more black counsellors or therapists mm -hmm. within the industry. And I agree with you in terms of, you know, I've gone through therapy myself and in previous episodes, well I had a great therapist last year Fadi he was lovely mm. but actually was he the right fit for me not so much right. a because 
it's a very different cultural, there's a difference within culture. Mm-hmm. B, I would say it was a difference within energy as well. I think I need a counsellor who's going to be quite direct with me to challenge me, to make me look inwards mm-hmm. and really push me to those to into those areas. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say he was the right person, mm-hmm. but I think you're, you're definitely right in terms of there is a need. But if he was black, mm-hmm. I think maybe my outcome would have been better. Not mm-hmm. saying it wasn't, it was bad, mm-hmm. um, but I think potentially it would have been, yeah, it would have been much more of a deeper connection. There would have been, we would have really got into the grit of the actual issues that mm-hmm. was at play. So I think that, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think we were having that discussion anyway, like on the last episode, weren't we, Latoya? And I think it'd be really interesting, Priscilla, as well, like towards the end of uh, the episode, maybe to, to get your view actually as to where, how do you think we can start the conversation or start the work for our community at a young age, because we know mm-hmm. that they're going to be at a disadvantage mm-hmm. already, right? Mm-hmm. So I was using my godson as an example. He's five. Mm-hmm. He's a dark-skinned boy. Already he's going to be at a disadvantage. So mm-hmm. everything that I try to do with him now, the positive affirmations, letting mm-hmm. him understand it's okay to be upset and, yeah. and cry, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. How do we start to almost like, what am I trying to say? Um, equip like our young princes and our young like princesses mm-hmm. and our, y- our young royalty from mm-hmm. the get go mm-hmm. to support them in the sort of adult life. So I would, it would be definitely great to kind of like get your view um, as to you know where uh, what your uh, yeah what your view is on that matter. Mm-hmm. But um, I really want to. We were talking in the other episode around like you know where do these mental health kind of like, issues come from for our community mm-hmm. um, and I think we kind of touched upon it anyway because I do feel that we that it we are born at a disadvantage because we are not the default mm-hmm. right but if you could just share some 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 maybe some examples of in your professional experience mm-hmm. actually where yeah where do these mental health issues come from where do they start at what particular age do they start as well mm-hmm. sorry that was very long-winded I don't know if that made any sense yeah no definitely we can um come back to the end in terms of yeah. like how to you know model uh you know and start those healthy relationships um but just coming back to your point about you know where did these Um, issues originate from Mm. so you know you've got different camps within the field of psychology and psychiatry and you have Mm. um the biological model the social model Mm. and the psychology model so if we're going to the biological model which is probably the earliest because psychiatry Mm -hmm. you know is a subset of medicine so Mm -hmm. if they're coming from medicine um it's looking at the science so these are things like um the flight or fight response Mm -hmm. yeah so, you know, like there are times if you're going back in the day when we were still um, hunter-gatherers in caveman times, if you mm. see, um, you know, a lion or a tiger approaching, it's very appropriate for your body to kind of signal to you that you're in danger and for your body to start, you know, sending um, high levels of cortisol and adrenaline. Mm. However, um, what that's done now is that we're living, we're in London where it's relatively safe. We're not in the bush anymore. There are no Mm. lions and tigers, but we're having the same level of um, response that we would to seeing a wild animal to not getting any likes on a picture on Instagram. Mm. So now Mm. your body is like constantly having um, like these flight or fight responses, um, really high stress levels to situations that are not as intimidating, but putting your body through the same level of stress. Mm -hmm. So the biological model would look at things like that um, and how we can start to sort of eliminate stress by um, really breaking down how fearful is this? Am I really in a situation where, you know, I'm at risk or am I Mm -hmm. not? Um, Also, if we're looking at, there's a study called um, epigenetics as well, which will sit under the biological camp as well. And Mm -hmm. that is how trauma is passed on. So not just through behavior, um, but through the body. So um, Latoya, you're a mum as well. And you'll probably know, like there are studies that show, like if you're stressed, baby's going to be stressed Mm -hmm. as well, because they're not just eating mum's food, but they're taking in all the different chemicals that are moving through our body. Um, So Mm. that's passed down from like grandparents to mom and then to us, you know, so the biological model would look at that. Well, okay, why are there certain patterns? So sometimes we might say um, diabetes runs in my family and it's like, okay, maybe diabetes doesn't run in the family. What runs in the family is a response that every time you're stressed, you eat sweets, you know, Mm. so you have high sugar levels. So it's actually not the diabetes itself, but it's the behavior patterns and how you respond to stress. 
Um, mm. And then if we're looking at the sociological model, those are social determinants of mental health. So things like poverty, the type of environment you live in. Um, so when I talked about coming from like Mightsfield in Brixton, um, being in an area like that with such high levels of um, deprivation, um, mm. high levels of social um, educational exclusion as well. So you've got lots of people that are involved in, in crime, there's poverty, there's unemployment and people are not in education. Um, that already can just paint a picture for you in terms of not having the tools to manage your mental health um, or to support others with their mental health or thinking about families and parents. Um, and then individual psychology would look about um, kind of what's going on for you as an individual and how you process things. So if you look at um, psychology as the word actually means study of the soul. So mm. for me, I kind of that's the way I take it. And my approach out of those three camps is more coming from that that perspective. Mm. So mm. mindfulness and looking at what is the meaning of life, very existential. Um, and a lot of that we learn through our parents and our environment. But as we get older, we start to develop what actually what is the meaning and purpose of life for me. So, yeah, mm. multiple different influences and, and mm. how we interact with each of those sections, um, determining how we're able to move through tough situations, how we bounce mm. back um, and how uh, how much of an imprint a traumatic situation leaves on us. Mm. Can I ask a question? Sense. Yeah, can yeah. I ask a question? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. like, relating that to the pandemic, right? Like, yes. that impact, because you know what I realised yesterday, <laughs> you mm -hmm. I was going to tell you, I'm really angry. I didn't know that I was really angry until yesterday when I called two people under the age of 18 little shits because they literally, <laughs> I was going through the barriers. It's such a trivial story, right? But literally we were, we went out yesterday, family day out, went out, um, partner goes through the barriers with baby. Then like these three teenagers trying to push in front of me had to go through right behind him and oh. I literally lost my shit yeah. and so then yeah. after that they 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 were like oh sorry <laughs> and they came mm. back and then like I don't know if it was a separate group of friends but you know a little black boy about 12 literally I was about to tap my oyster on and I tapped it uh not sorry my oyster my contactless card and mm -hmm. he literally just walked in front of me to try and go through yeah. but luckily it didn't even go through yeah but as soon as I saw him do that I was like yeah right yeah and like the staff are just standing there doing nothing you don't laugh but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, is it, like i'm holding a baby you can't be going off like that yeah. and I'm, just like, I'm so angry mm -hmm. like normally mm. i would things like that would not even phase me i just feel like yeah. the kids being kids yeah but it's yeah. like i realized yesterday that actually i'm really angry at the moment because it just feels like life is quite stuck I feel like going through this mm. pandemic, like things are just very stagnant. Do you know what I mean? There's not really much change. Yeah. And so yeah. that's me sharing my personal as per you're always going too far. Mm -hmm. But I'm just wondering like how you think like, that's me. I mean, I've gone to therapy so I can make that realisation mm. that, do you know what? Yeah. You, I've got a little bit of rage going on here because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. But what, yeah. what have you noticed? Because obviously you talked about three different models, but what have you mm -hmm. noticed? yeah like in terms of even not obviously being personal about clients but maybe like mm -hmm. a pattern of things mm. that you're picking up from people pre during and obviously we're not coming out of but I call this post yeah. kind of hype pandemic yeah. what yeah. would you know what would you say you've noticed yeah I think um it's really interesting like I think globally like we we can't deny like there are higher levels of anxiety and stress mm. I think the pandemic in a way has united us in the sense that we are for the first time all going through the same mm. mental health threat you know mm. whereas normally it'd be very individual and based on where you live in the world but we have one thing that connects us globally um which you would think kind of brings us together in a positive way um for some people it has you know and we feel more connected when we saw people like in the beginning you saw people singing out of their windows and we were trapped inside and mm. communities coming together um, but at the same time, now that we're moving into like, you know, talking about vaccines and stuff like that, it's created a lot of division, mm. you know, and now it's sort of like, you know, conversations around who does the burden of respons responsibility lie with, you know, the vaccinated or the unvaccinated and are you being mm. selfish in making this decision or that decision? Um, so I think like, you know, 
collectively there's this buzzing like anxiety that's just there Mm. Um, sometimes it's talked about sometimes it's not talked about but it's always the elephant in the room mm. um, and people are carrying it as you said you know it can be something small like being at the train station <laughs> and someone doing something really annoying um, but we're always kind of like ready to pop off because everyone has had enough you know yes. and yeah it's just that um, having a feeling of freedom or being able to be free is such an essential part of our mental mm. health. Mm. So the minute someone tells you stay in your house, even if you had nowhere to go, it just does something to you. Yeah. It's like, mm. what do you mean stay in my house? Like I want to be free, you know? So it's mm. kind of like, we're all going through this um, experience of what it's like to be imprisoned in a way, you know, and have um, choices removed. So I feel like, yeah, it's definitely had a massive impact. And I don't think we've even seen the full effect of it mm. um, yet. Like we're going to see it in years to come in terms of like how much it's affected people's mental health. Wow. Yeah, you know what? I think definitely uh, what's resonating with me is when you're saying around, um, Priscilla, when you said about that, the, the want and the need for freedom mm. um, and freedom from not necessarily just a psychological perspective, but a physical and spiritual perspective as well. Like I don't feel, I think everyone, yeah, you're right. Everyone struggled in lockdown. And I do, I think even with Latoya, when you're saying about like, you're angry, I think that resonates with me as well. Like sometimes I'm like, I've been two years of my life have been taken. Mm. So no one better not like fuck me off. <laughs> and yes. then actually what happens is, because I've still got quite a lot of, because I'm still annoyed at the fact that I've lost two years of my life. Mm. And I think to myself like, I haven't done this, I haven't seen this friends. Like, you know, friends have had babies, haven't been able to see them. Like I'm just angry at not just the world in general, right? Mm. So I think sometimes what I, I might do, what you were saying as well, is harbour some of that frustration and take it out on a few people yeah. at work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's that is really powerful in what you were saying. I think definitely I, I agree. I things that you said, Latoya, I can see that in myself and Priscilla definitely. That was really powerful when we were talking about the need for that freedom. Mm. But it's, it's it's on a on a spiritual and on a soul level. I think that yeah, mm. that's actually really um that's very interesting. Because although you know you're staying in your house, like you're like, I'm on furlough, I get paid yeah. just to stay at home. I'm so sorry. I don't want to stay at home and sit in the four walls. <laughs> There's only so I have to, can I understand about Amazon like prime movies I can actually yeah. watch. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to read any more books because if I read any more books, <laughs> I've got all of this nonsense in my head. I've just got my thoughts and I'm just gonna go yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I don't think it helped as well that I went through counseling when I was in lockdown at the same time. So that was even right. worse. <laughs> um, you are right in terms of like yeah, yeah that. Uh, that need for the, the freedom mm-hmm. that need yeah. for the freedom for sure yeah definitely sure. and I think you know def- like with children as well like with the schools being closed mm. um it's something a lot of them have never ever experienced like being at mm. home every single day with mum or with dad or with both parents or grandparents mm. um and then you know your caregivers are having to double up as teachers mm. I know personally like I'm not a teacher I don't have the patience for it and it's not something I signed up for so having to do that and like manage clients and work and just being an individual myself like mm. yeah it was definitely a lot to wow. to adjust to yeah mm. mm-hmm. um i was gonna oh sorry go on yeah no go ahead um i was just gonna ask a little bit more about like do you think the pandemic has affected like racially di- mm. like the groups differently because mm. like obviously we've spoken about it before obviously like the black lives matter stuff really blew up exponentially like was that last year god it feels like life is flying by mm-hmm. but last summer yeah. that was yeah. like a really massive thing and yeah. you know you talk about division like unvaccinated vaccinated i also feel like there's a division b- between woke quote unquote woke blackness like um i'm not racist but i can say this um you know you guys are not struggling as much as we are i just feel like everything's as a black person, I mean, even mm. with Love Island, sorry to bring it up on a podcast, <laughs> but even things like how my baby girl Kaz, like when you read what people say about her, mm. like you have Kaz, who is a black woman who I think is very articulate. She doesn't shout. She's very eloquent. She's able to put a point across excellently without losing, without even raising her voice, really. And you have Faye, who is a blonde white woman who shouts and screams and I think is quite abusive in the way that she's, the language she uses to describe people. But yet, people are trying to put the two people together in the same box. 
Mm. Which I, I find really interesting considering that we've had so much talk about Black Lives Matter, people putting up black squares, this is a black experience. And yet I still feel like we're not allowed to be, even mm. post-pandemic, even yeah. now, like it's yeah. still um in terms of our mental health, like Kaz is not allowed to be upset. She's not allowed mm. to be annoyed. Yeah. However, they can be because she's had traumatic mm-hmm. experiences which maybe mm. white women are not supposed to experience. But as mm. a black woman, you are supposed to experience it. And if you experience it, you better deal with it. So yeah. I, I do yeah. wonder like what your views are in terms of like how I know we're focusing a lot on COVID, but it's the biggest thing in the room mm-hmm. at the moment. But just yeah. how that has affected how people view us and our mental health and mm. whether we're allowed to be any more than before COVID happened. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a really good question. Like, I don't watch Love Island, but I've seen lots of clips. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit aware of, like, some of the characters you talked about. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I feel like definitely with the whole COVID situation, it has exacerbated any issues that were there before. So anything that was there has just now been magnified, like, on a mm-hmm. bigger level. Um And it's interesting because I know a lot of black people were saying, well, this isn't, the pandemic's not new to us. We've always felt like our life was at threat. Like this is, you're now just getting a glimpse into our everyday life. This is what Mm. it feels like to be black. Like you could die at any moment. And, you know, like, you know, just that constant fear in the background, Mm. you know? So I feel Mm. like it's exacerbated that. But in a way, yes, it's given people glimpses into, um, you know, what the black experience is like. it's been interesting because it, you know we've had lots of killings as well and you know lots of different cases have been happening globally you know over here and in the US at the same time that the pandemic is going on mm-hmm. so it's like double trauma you know mm-hmm. being black and being in a pandemic but then also realizing okay I still have to deal with the black experience mm-hmm. um, so I feel like not enough uh, grace has been given to us to be able mm-hmm. to process all of that because even if you're not going through it yourself or it's not your your brother or sister or friend that's been killed, just being exposed to these stories has a mental health impact, you know, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, you're constantly um, just being reminded that you are viewed in the majority world um, as less of a human, mm-hmm. you know, and anti-blackness is global, you know, and it's something that's been there for very, very long. Um, and as you've just kind of pointed out, like it's not really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel like the pandemic also being stuck indoors, we are all on our phones more. We're like looking on the internet more. We're watching TV more generally over the last couple of two years. So I feel like those stories are like really in our faces. And yeah. sometimes when you're already feeling like I'm stressed out because I'm stuck in the house and now I'm just constantly being fed with like black people dying and black people being you know, treated in a very unjust way. Um, it can have a massive, massive impact. So Mm. I feel like, you know, we've started in a way um, to have conversations that we've needed to have for a long time. Mm. For me, it felt quite surreal. It was almost like being in this science sci-fi movie because it was Mm. like um, everyone is all of a sudden talking about something that for me was like always there. So I'm like, wow, (laughs) welcome to the party. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we've been living this, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting to see, you know, like this this sudden awareness, but it also made me aware of like how how much people were unaware as well for them to, I had friends, you know, opening up conversations with me, non-black friends around like, you know, I can really appreciate now what you've been going through. And Mm. I'm sorry that I haven't kind of given you the space to express what your experience mm. has been like um and yes it was it was really good to be able to have those conversations but it's just shocking that sometimes it takes for someone to be killed in america for you to have a conversation with someone that you've grown up here with in london you know Madness. yeah yeah i definitely um yeah agree with everything that you said i, I feel the and especially around how surreal it was like mm. um because you are right, like we were stuck in our houses. Like obviously we're going through COVID. That's one trauma to your point, the death of George Floyd and the other uh, um, black members uh, being murdered by the police. Police brutality, that was the second trauma. And then, yeah, where it's in your face 24-7 and we're at home and watching TV, we're on our phones. And it's like, you wake up, you see it, you go to bed, you see Mm -hmm. it, you dream it. And then whilst there was a massive movement and it was amazing and you're just like, okay, cool. Like 
to your point, the conversations, we were having the conversation now, although the conversation should have been having a long time ago, it almost felt quite surreal because for me, I think it was the intensity of everything Mm. and the frequency of it all at the same time. You're like, this is just... In, in in your no- normal in a normal world in an ideal world if you weren't if you weren't going through COVID you're like okay you can start on a sense there's going to be a bit of a build up mm. or we we'll be able to warm ourselves up to it but it was just like bang there yeah. it is and then you're just like okay how do you almost navigate through that so mm. I definitely like Priscilla when you, you the word that the wording that you use around surreal mm. that it was it was yeah Great. it was hugely surreal for me because I was like mm-hmm. I don't really know what's going on I don't really know what my contribution is do I post a black square I don't really want to post a black square because I need to connect to it on a, I want to protest but I don't want to die if I go for COVID <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, it's true but it's true though yeah. I was just like, I want to go out there but I don't want to die yeah. like I was just like it, it was yeah it was, mm-hmm. it was it was a madness mm-hmm. it was a madness mm-hmm. and and I think going, like, I'm quite interested because I only feel feel comfortable to mm. share as well. Like, what challenges did you go through mm. um, in regards to, like, you know, your mental health, mm-hmm. whether it was in the COVID situation, in the COVID, in the pandemic, or mm. outside of the pandemic? If you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, I would definitely say that I and a lot of therapists that I spoke to um, mm. definitely experienced therapist burnout, um, mm. and that's something that therapists experience anyway. But I think particularly during COVID, um, so just before the pandemic like lockdown started around like March 2020 I Mm. was working with a mixture of doing sort of like my Vivify therapy clients um, but I was also working for a children's service called COOF which I still work with sometimes now Um, so coming from working with children to transitioning to having a caseload of mainly clients who are black and then lockdown happens and then George Floyd and then everything um, it was a lot you know and like holding Mm. space um for people but at the same time it's like um I was transitioning and dealing with the challenge of transitioning and my daughter being homeschooled and all Mm. of that but realizing like they need me even more now like my services are needed even more now because more people at home and the request for therapy just went up Mm. you know through the roof which in a way sometimes it takes a really bad situation for people to realize that they need therapy so i was happy that more black people were giving themselves the space to say i need someone to speak to so even though i felt burnt out i was happy in that way Mm. um but i really had to lean on my own sort of mental health tools and like you know Mm. really get into my mindfulness i spent lots of time um outdoors um nature is my my place where I can just you know de-stress and let go so hiking Mm. you know take me to the woods anytime (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I needed to just get out there I was like I can't I can't do like the four walls I just need to be outside and and feel expansive Mm. um Mm. so I was really really leaning on that you know and it it was a challenge because my daughter doesn't like the outdoors like she's she's a city baby I'm a city baby but I'm country at heart you know (laughs) but um it's like oh mom do we have to do this again and like oh I don't want to be in the mud and all of that um but you know just drag her along (laughs) yeah yeah so um and I also had to contend with like um wanting to be a really good teacher and that was really hard because it was like you're getting Mm. all this information from the school and they're like you know make sure your child has done like their English their maths and their science so I was like okay I'm gonna be like a really good teacher and have all these lesson plans within a couple of days no all of that went out the window and I was just like actually I'm not a teacher so why do I expect that I'm gonna teach at the same level as her school does um and we just freestyled and it was fine and I was just like you know it's okay she she's not gonna miss out a massive part so I just Mm. had to kind of really come to peace with that we're gonna teach in this house how how we do our thing and sometimes that Mm. means she's not gonna be in the zoom class because she's outside in a park because that's what she wants to do today and it's going to be better for her mental health and mine yeah yeah oh that's amazing yeah um so I was going to ask a little bit about um as a community like how our mental health has been viewed generally just like your observations in terms of like because we shared some stats last episode you know like Mm. black people tend to be four times more likely to be detained um Mm. under Mm. like mental health acts basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sectioned so what has sort of been your observations in your years of experience in terms of like even just obviously you can't bash the nhs but just structurally Mm. how our community mental health 
has been viewed um, mm-hmm. and any changes, whether positive or negative, that you've mm-hmm. kind of noticed over your career in terms of like mm-hmm. our community? Yeah, yeah. I think um, in terms of how black people are viewed in society as a whole, especially in British society, it's always going to filter through into services. So whether that's um, education and the school system or health services. And I think a lot of the time, you know, I know you guys talked about in your last episode, the perceived threat of of black men sometimes. So when I think back to um, my work with um, young people and adolescents, I always really, really enjoyed being able to work with young black boys. Um, and oftentimes I'd go into a school and the teacher gives you a brief and like, oh, you know, these are the worst kids in the world, it's like brace yourself kind of thing. And you go into the room and I'm just like, these boys are lovely, like they're amazing, mm. um, you know, and I just, I love being able to be able to create a space where they can be that size, you know, and not this version that teachers think of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I remember like my daughter's nearly nine, but when I was um, pregnant with her, I had a massive fear. So waiting to find out the gender of my baby. Um, mm. And I remember just having a day of panic of like, if sh- if it's a boy and it's a black boy and I have to raise a black boy in London, what the hell am I gonna do? Mm. <laughs> you know, so just already having that knowledge of like the system that they're coming into. Um, and I think that's because I've just seen the way that, you know, black boys and black men are treated in the system and black girls and women too. So I think we are always, um, we're born, unfortunately, into a system where we're already at a disadvantage. Um, there's inequity, inequality. Um, and I think sub- the NHS obviously are very strained um, and they don't have the capacity to sort of tailor interventions so that they meet cultural expectations or that they meet mm-hmm. the needs, you know. Um, of different kind of clusters of society. Um, And I remember reading about um, a study. So in Rwanda, you know, there was the 1994 um, genocide where lots of people Mm -hmm. were killed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember uh, lots of sort of Western psychologists and psychiatrists flying in to like come and help them because obviously there's all this trauma. And so they sat down with them and started to arrange like psychotherapy sessions. And these Randy's people said to them, you know, like, this is the most depressing thing ever. Who wants to sit in a room and have a chat? Like, it's not doing it. Um, So they're like, you know, we want to go outside in the sun. We want to like bang our Mm. drums. We want to dance. We want to sing, you know? And I was like, that is kind of the essence of uh, blackness in a way, Mm. you know, like it's nice to have the conversations and to dig deep. We need those moments. But I think um, where our interventions are lacking here in the UK um, is that mm. they don't cater to that part of us, um, mm. to the to part of um, black healing that is very creative and very free and very flowing, um, mm. especially if we're talking about things like CBT. Um, and unfortunately, because the NHS are um, under stress financially and in terms of you know time, it's very goal oriented which is great Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with something that's very surface level, but the majority of black people's um, traumas and mental health issues are deep. Um, Mm. So CBT is good in terms of, you know, getting to the quick solutions in terms of how you can function on a day to day. Um, But the kind of work that we need to do to function um, Mm -hmm. is a lot deeper, you know? So I think there needs to be something that kind of speaks to us um, in that way and kind of Mm. of help us a bit more. So in terms of the way that I work as well, I try to give space so that things can be a lot more long-term, you know, and that a client can come in as they need and stay as long as they need to. um, And to really use those mindfulness tools just to be present um, and to allow all of that deep healing to take place. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I think you mentioned really, um, uh, you mentioned about, you know, having the right interventions for the community and I agree and I think that's something that we touched upon in the previous episode I don't know we spoke about it earlier on like um what examples I'm putting you on the spot here Priscilla Mm -hmm. if you've got anything but what examples of uh have you got that you know you could potentially share with our audience around what the right interventions are so Mm. I agree with you when you know it's great that you're having the conversation the story that you you shared about you know having the conversations and sometimes it can be quite depressing so how do you um uh you know the healing is about the creativity of the soul so is it painting is it drumming etc so what examples 
uh, have you got uh, mm-hmm. that you could sh- potentially share with our audience? Just so it, it, gives, mm-hmm. it paints a bit of a picture for, for, for what we're talking about. Yeah, I think sometimes to begin with, it's about like having a mixture. So like mm-hmm. if you're going to have a therapist, but also create um, what I call, you know, like a mental health toolbox or even just get yourself a mental health journal and think mm-hmm. about the things that bring you joy. For example, I said, you know, being out in nature. So mix it up. It doesn't have to be um, just once a week. I'm going to have this, you know, one hour, 50 minute session with my therapist, Mm. but I'm doing nothing else. Um, Just really think about the things that bring you joy. And so that you have a mixture of things that you're doing, whether that's creative or sitting down in traditional therapy. Mm. Um, And also joining, there are so many events, which, you know, kind of is a, a plus side to the pandemic in that, Everything's online, so it's more accessible now as well. Mm. Um, I think going back to that word Ubuntu, you know, and it's Mm. I am because we are. And we are only as healthy as the communities and the societies that we are a part of. Mm. We might feel, you know, Western culture is very individualistic, um, but I can go and heal in my bubble and be like, right, all my traumas are fixed, I'm fine. I step outside and I'm around traumatised people. How well am I? You know, Mm. so I feel like... um, it's about healing in process with the people that are around us. So joining different groups um, mm. and experiencing how you can uh, learn from them and how you can teach them your own healing tools. Because I think that's a big part of the Black experience. We are very much um, uh, collectivists, you know. Mm. So I think a lot of the time it's about, you know, having sitting down and having conversations with different members of your family. I know recently a lot of clients have been talking about how healing that has been you know, just to open a dialogue um, around, you know, sitting your mom down and just saying, you know, what was your childhood like, you know, and being able to understand that instead of just sitting down with your therapist and kind of um, theorizing or rationalizing, well, I think your mom did this and therefore it did this to you. But like, have a Mm. chat with your mom, talk to your dad or like make that awkward phone call um, Mm. just so you can get some of the insight into why that person is the way they are so Mm. so many different ways that we um, can approach but I think having a mixture and kind of always going back to connection because this this connection always makes mental health worse you know and Mm. being isolated in the bubble so finding ways to connect with your community your family um, and finding your own tribe Mm. Mm. yeah interesting um so Mm. I was gonna ask you what is your advice for Mm -hmm. someone who isn't sure how to access mental health support so for for example if there's a listener today who wants to contact you as well Mm -hmm. and says um i want to i want to start my journey into improving my mental health um Mm -hmm. what are some steps first steps people can take to kind of start that mental health um healing journey Mm-hmm. Sure. So to get in contact with me specifically, um, you can go to www.vivifytherapy.com. That's my website. And you can send me a message um, and talk about starting your therapy journey. Um, other places that you can go. So I am a member of the BACP. They have their own uh, website where you can find a therapist in there um, put your location in um, and find someone who you feel might match up with you. Another really good directory is the counselling directory. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go on there. It's very general, um, but it's quite uh, broad in terms of the type of therapist that you'll f- um, find. So whether it's CBT or different types of uh, things like psychodynamic therapy. Um, mm-hmm. Looking specifically for a black uh, therapist or a person of colour, um, there is the Black and Asian Therapist Network, Barton. Um, you can find a therapist on there as well. Um, you can put your postcode in and everything and find someone who's close to you and meets your needs. Um, and those are sort of like the main directories. There's also Psychology Today, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of black therapists are actually on there as well. So you can um, type in, again, your information and find someone close to you. You'll be able to see their profile pictures so you'll know sort of what they look like as well. Um yeah so I think those are like the main ways if you're looking to start sort of a therapy journey I would say it's also good to be aware of um, what your mental health goals are on the outset Mm. and sometimes people come into therapy with um, this feeling of like fix me then you know it's this attitude of like fix me then Um, Mm. and while I understand where that comes from I think therapy needs to be viewed as a relationship 
you know, mm. um, whether it's like a, a friendship or a, a, a corporate relationship or a marriage, you know, you get out as much as you put in. So if you're coming into that one therapy session and then you just like walk away and do nothing, um, you're not going to get as much out of it in the next 12 or 24 weeks as someone who is doing their journaling, spending a couple of minutes a day in mindfulness meditation, who is taking mm. the time to... Um, you know, really develop a deeper level of self-awareness. Like, you know, okay, this person pissed me off today, but why? Mm. You know, like, mm. what are my triggers? You know, like, whether it's just like, I'm going to make a quick note on my phone. Like, I was triggered today. Let me take that to my therapist next session. Mm. You know, mm. so just constantly trying to be aware um, so that you're putting in, you know, the work, then you're going to get as much out of it. Amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that I, I don't know if there's any more questions you want to ask you at as well. No, I didn't have any more uh questions because I think, yeah, we answered um, uh, yeah, all the insights that you shared was super inspirational. So inspirational. Thank you so much, like, so thank you guys. It's really refreshing <laughs> to hear from somebody who is black who works um in like mental health support services, like counseling, etc. Mm. I'd like, um, I don't know if, you, if your counselor was. Where was your counselor from? Was Asian, maybe? Uh, he was a Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern. Oh. My counselor, and I've, I've yeah. had a, I think mine was actually Asian. Um, so I've oh, never no. had a black counselor at all. Wow. I wouldn't even have thought mm. to look mm-hmm. into it personally. Because yeah. Yeah. I guess I've always kind of thought, I don't know. We've talked about it before, but it's just like the the the, the black community relationship as an African child, mm-hmm. you pray mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. you don't mm. you don't go and get counselling. <laughs> so I never really thought to myself to even think, well, actually, maybe if I sat with a black woman, mm-hmm. I would have um a relationship because I think inherently I'd be thinking if it was a black woman, she would be judging me because that's how I felt yes. when I've had um, black nurses, mm. black doctors. There's sometimes I've just felt there's an over-familiarity. Mm-hmm. So I've always mm-hmm. felt, actually, if I just pick somebody who's completely not from my culture, yeah, I yeah. it's experience. easier to open up. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's a really valid point that you make, though, and it's important because I think sometimes people assume, like, because my therapist is black, we're going to instantly connect not necessarily, they're going to trigger a lot of things for you, you know, and there's Mm. something that we call um, transference. So it's when you start to project onto someone because they remind you of someone. So if that woman's black or that man is black and he looks like your dad or your aunt, you know, those Mm. first couple of sessions are going to be really awkward because you're just Mm. like, oh, you're judging me or you remind me of this person. Um, Mm. But once you get through that, it's like, okay, now we can start to, you know, do some deeper work. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. I've got a lot more. I mean, I just see therapy as like shopping, sort of. I just sort of see it as like, okay, like I've got to work on it. Like, to me, it's like it's something that I don't mind spending money on to make sure that I'm mentally okay. Because, Mm -hmm. like, especially now as a mum, if I'm not okay, my child is not okay. Like, if I'm not okay, my work suffers. If I'm not okay, my friendships suffer. So, to be honest, I'd rather invest some money into Mm. it so that I'm not suffering in other facets of my life is how Mm -hmm. I see it. But I know for some Black people that it is really difficult first step to to get help I think I don't know why it always is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's hard to get help because um we're just seen as strong aren't we you know it's like the strong black woman or the strong black man and it's hard to to kind of ask for help but once you do make that initial step you find that there is so much support available to Mm -hmm. you yeah and I think as well it's just basically because we're we're so we're taught yet just your as you as you said we're we're taught to be strong Mm -hmm. and to try to be resilient Mm -hmm. but then you have to question how resilient are you actually being if you're not able to pass go through challenging times to actually understand okay get to the root cause Mm -hmm. and then be able to bounce back Mm -hmm. and I think that um you just bury it just deep just bury it deep down inside and just keep we just continue to move just continue to move Mm -hmm. because I think that's what it was like especially for like my parents Mm -hmm. like you know they came over like mum wouldn't necessarily go to counselling she was just like well you need to go for head doctor for I'm like okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know what and I think to you going back into what you were saying Priscilla around Mm -hmm. actually those things that are passed down from generation right so the behaviour yeah I think I have adopted or I've yeah I know the reasons why sometimes where I do go into my shell I'm like you know what I don't want to I'm just going to keep on going keep on going keep on going Mm -hmm. because I've seen that behavior from my parents um and I'm just like well if mum did it Mm -hmm. and she has to bring up two kids by herself 
then what am I complaining for? What am I complaining for? You just got to do it. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't yeah, understand. Yeah. So I think that you are right. I think that really, really rang true to me when you're talking about mm-hmm. when you're breaking down the different facets of where you feel like, you know, our mental health comes from the psychological aspect, etc. Because mm-hmm. it is that behaviour mm-hmm. transference and yeah. it is around trying to break that cycle mm-hmm. for... I don't have kids. If I do any future kids I have in in the future, or even like my godson, like how we start to break uh, that, because um, that's really important. But yeah, no, you're yeah. definitely right. I think yeah. it's, it's been a great, yeah. uh, a great yeah. episode. Oh, thank you. I've a really enjoyed episode. speaking with you, and yeah, looking forward to seeing more. I know this is your first one of having a guest on, so yeah, yes. nice yes. more <laughs> interviews. Yeah, be really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just quickly plug that um, yes. I have a couple of conversations around masculinity um, coming up on my Instagram page in awesome. next month in September. So yeah, look out for those. Going to be having yes, some please. really deep dives into masculinity. So wow. Yeah. Yes, please. You know, I'm always flying my flag for my fellow black <laughs> brothers. Well, I am. I'm always flying. Oh, Right, you never say a bad word. You're like, no. No, <laughs> no I do. I, you know, but I just think it's important that we come with this equal footing to the conversation. Sure. <laughs> so, so wait to the conversation. Sure. But no, thank you, Priscilla. I definitely will look out for, yes. for, for that in September. I'll definitely mm-hmm. be there for sure. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely okay. that as well. Cool. So thank you so okay. much for your time and giving your wealth of knowledge. Like I've definitely yeah. learned so much today as well. Um, yeah. And also it's so good to have a knowledgeable black woman who absolutely is just you're you're in your profession and you are yeah. you are and you will continue to also inspire maybe some younger black people to get into mental health services um mm. i always say that to be honest like we're always talking about like oh um not always but it's it's perceived that black kids just want to be do sports uh, or do music but actually yeah. if they have more role models in other sectors like psychology like education like law the more mm. they see faces like them the more likely that they are going to want to pursue those One. careers yeah yeah so, yeah absolutely it's, it's fantastic um yes. we really appreciate Thank it you. so i guess that brings us to to us to the end. Us to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a nice long chat. Yes. And yeah. All right. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you for coming Thanks. on today. Um, okay. For everyone listening today, please, if you've got any questions or you'd like to contact Priscilla, we will leave her de- details in the blurb on um, Instagram and also on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. That's where you can find her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yes have a great day and I hope that this has really opened up some thinking about your mental health and how you want to approach it going forward and Priscilla has really given you some pearls of wisdom so have a great week wherever you are and take care of yourselves bye take care bye Bye.